PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, the show that has just everyone losing their minds over how easy it is to study for boards. <laughs> That's what I just came up with. Post late night shift. Thank you again for joining us for another riveting episode. Dr. Hussein, however, will not be sharing this level of excitement. He's going to be with us in spirit today. He is actually currently working on the design of a new coffee shop in the ED waiting room. What a revolutionary idea. <laughs> you know, instead of, you know, trying to treat the boarding problem. Anyway, but it's a good start, and I think the C-suite's going to buy that better than, you know, I don't know, maybe opening up more beds upstairs. Anyway, let's talk about a really interesting topic today. We have a great question to start off this episode of telling what you need to know of a common problem that we've kind of been avoiding for a while, but we decided we have to cover it for the boards finally. So you were called by one of the ED nurses to the room of a new patient with tachycardia. The patient has a fever as well. She is a 73-year-old female with a history of COPD. Now, she's had a productive cough and shortness of breath the past few days. You proceed to ask the nurse to initiate code sepsis for pneumonia and draw blood cultures. The patient suddenly brings out from underneath her gown a stopwatch and a notepad with pen and paper and says to you, the clock starts now. Time to start antibiotics is counting down. She then proceeds to ask you if you will be giving her 30 cc's per kg of IV fluids and what your opinion on lactates is. You try to slowly exit the room and heavily document in your note your reasoning for what you're doing. Which of the following is not, I repeat, not a SERS criteria? Choice A, temperature less than 36 Celsius. Choice B, mean arterial pressure less than 65. Choice C, heart rate greater than 90. Choice D, respiratory rate greater than 20. We're going to give you the correct answer here. We should probably tell you what Ian Borbombs is. I forgot to do that earlier. <laughs> Ian Borbombs is a podcast where we tell you what you need to know for the boards. Our motto is come for the stems, stay for the content. We have an exciting new website. For those of you that have checked it out already, you've probably been blown out of your minds how awesome it looks. It is an incredibly beautiful, aesthetically pleasing design of our website. Check it out at emborbombs.com. All the same free content is there. Nothing has changed. We have all of our handouts there. We now have different gradients, we call it, of your handouts so you can plan your study guide activity, meaning that if you go into this thinking, hey, I'm a new learner to emergency medicine, I'm an intern or medical student, etc. I just want to get the basics. Well, we have entry-level handouts for you. We've chosen and handpicked the study guides to best fit your learning style. And then, of course, we have different levels, the top being ninja level. So if you're a ninja <laughs> emergency doctor, clinician, you can check out those levels of handouts, too, for some great learning for the boards and for real life. Of course, our podcasts are available there. They're available on every platform, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, whatever you want on your app of choice for streaming. And, of course, we have to mention EM Rapid Bombs here. Why not? Boards are coming up. you got less than two months away from your boards if you're getting ready for that period of your life. We are here to help you. We've been doing this for over five years now, and we offer the most unique studying ever. The first and only Question Bank podcast, where we give you quick, rapid, just less than five-minute episodes 
of easily digestible emergency medicine information. We tell you what you need to know, we give you a multiple choice question, read it off to you, give you time to think about it, and then we go over the answer choices, we coach you through it, telling you how the boards would approach this answer. We also tell you what is in real life, basically. We're not wasting your time telling you, yeah, this is silly, but you're gonna always have to give 30 cc's per kg for sepsis. JK, that's not true. We're gonna tell you what in real life is actually important to know and what typically is different from the boards if there's a discrepancy, which there, of course, often is. Because there's nothing worse than studying for boards and knowing that you're just wasting your time studying for boards. We don't do that. Anyway, the correct answer here of the choices we mentioned was going to be mean arterial pressure less than 65. This is a common myth, right? People think that the SERS criteria surely includes blood pressure, right? Well, it doesn't. Blood pressure is not part of SERS criteria. So sepsis is a real problem. It's a medical condition that the ED plays a major role in, and it's sadly, it's been hijacked by a lot of bureaucracy and honestly bad guidelines. Now, ASEP and other major EM organizations have made a lot of great suggestions and evidence-based changes. This is a, a coming from a long way from what we had before, but the fact is you will sadly always have to deal with these bad rules at your shop to some degree, at least right now. Now, this podcast is not meant to push the limits of the latest and greatest sepsis knowledge. We also do not plan to regurgitate boring guidelines. So what's the point of this? Well, somewhere in the middle, we're planning to tell you what you need to know for boards and a basic primer for real life. That's it. The good news is, is the boards are not about wading into the swamp of sepsis guidelines. They want to keep it simple for you too, actually. You will never be asked about which patient needs 30 cc's per kg or lactate levels and the controversy of when certain patients don't need 30 cc's per kg, etc. Just forget that for the test. So let's get into the basics here, the most recent changes, and then we'll wrap things up, tell you what you need to know, what is likely to be tested on. So sepsis is defined in the ED setting as greater or equal to two SERS criteria. Let's go over these again. Temperature is less than 36 Celsius, otherwise less than 96 Fahrenheit, or greater than 38 Celsius, which is 100.4. Heart rate greater than 90, respiratory rate greater than 20, and then WBC count would either be, you know, leukopenic or with leukocytosis. Leukopenic being less than 4,000 or leukocytosis greater than 12,000. Now, if you need just greater or equal to two of those four things to be surge criteria positive. Now, you and I both know plenty of patients have surge criteria met and they don't have sepsis, right? If you go for a run somewhere and you're doing extreme, you know, high intensity workout or CrossFit or whatever, before you get rhabdo <laughs> from CrossFit, you're going to have an elevated heart rate greater than 90 probably and respiratory rate could be really high too, right? You might have an elevated wet blood cell count too. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. The point of that is, is that we all know that surge criteria is not perfect. So QSOFA came out several years ago. Yeah, it's been really popular. It hit the mainstream. The problem is QSOFA is not using the ED officially. It's not part of any major guidelines in the ED. The boards are very unlikely to ever ask you about QSOFA. So just don't worry about that. So anyway, surge criteria is not perfect. That's why it takes clinical judgment to go into a room and make decisions. And that's why you went to medical school, right? <laughs> so you know which patients potentially have sepsis, which don't. So what's the most important thing you can do in a patient who meets sepsis, who you think has sepsis and you're initiating code sepsis, or you think they have an, you know, systemic illness from an infection? By far, the number one choice, the number one answer in the test, the number one answer in real life, thankfully these both agree, is to give antibiotics as soon as possible, ideally within the first hour of recognizing septic shock. If it's just sepsis, plain old sepsis, and their blood pressure is normal, you got about three hours to play with typically, per the guidelines. This is source control, and that's as soon as possible you want to initiate antibiotics. 
If they're in septic shock, it's broad-spectrum antibiotics, of course. What do broad-spectrum antibiotics mean? Typically, it differs per institution, but typically, if you're in septic shock or immunocompromised or looking very, very unwell and very sick, this is going to be vancomycin IV and zosin or Piperacillum tazobactam or cefepime. So gram-positive antibiotic coverage and a gram-negative antibiotic coverage. Again, vancomycin or Piperacillum tazobactam or vancomycin and cefepime. Those are typically the two most classic combinations we see in emergency medicine for broad-spectrum antibiotic coverage in septic shock. A patient that's very, very sick, you may not have a source yet, boom, you're done, or immunocompromised. Now, if you have a, you know, a patient, little lady like in the question, who's 73 years old, has a source already, blood pressure is normal, you're covering for a community-acquired source, community-acquired pneumonia, for example, well, you're going to give very specific antibiotics, you know, for community-acquired coverage, whether that be, you know, ceftriaxone, azithromycin, etc. It doesn't really matter. We're not getting into the details of that. But source control as soon as possible. Now, what is your MAP goal for most patients with septic shock? Well, if they have septic shock, you're going to go greater than 60 to 65 millimeters mercury for your MAP goal. And this has been studied. They've shown that early vasopressors after fluid resuscitation is the key here. There's no significant difference in outcomes with LR versus normal saline. People still prefer LR like myself for many reasons for large volume resuscitation. You should still consider doing that. You can also do peripheral vasopressors here. Now, peripheral vasopressors like norepinephrine, they're safe in low doses in the first 24 hours. This has been proven. This is stamped and approved. So don't be getting those central lines to start pressors. That's absurd. If you've got a good peripheral line, early vasopressors and peripheral lines are fantastic. Never delay administering vasopressors while trying to wait to do central access. What is your first vasopressor of choice? Well, it's obviously norepinephrine. We've talked about this in other podcasts. It's a no-brainer. Levofed is the brand name, norepinephrine. That is the first line. Your second line usually vasopressin. Now, of course, stress dose steroids play a role here. That's hydrocortisone, 50 milligrams every six hours. That is recommended in patients you are doing vasopressors on. If you're starting vasopressors on someone, you should very, very, very likely give them hydrocortisone. The studies are favoring this more, and this is a good, you know, kind of what else can you do for the patient question. You know, they're already on norepinephrine. They're pretty sick. What's your next step here? Hydrocortisone should be your next step. What else do we need to know here? Well, it's really important to understand that a lot of these guidelines and everything that are out there are just not that good. And so we're trying to summarize the stuff that really matters. We already talked about the antibiotics being the most important. We already talked about balanced crystalloids likely being better if you're doing large volume resuscitation instead of normal saline, but that's never going to be tested on. And we also talked about how the 30 cc per kg thing has to be given within three hours, but that's weak, low quality evidence. And you're never going to be tested on that either on the boards about which patients potentially need that or not. Just know, you know, volume resuscitation and then starting vasopressors early and peripherally as much as possible. And of course, IV corticosteroids. Notice how I haven't mentioned anything about lactates. <laughs> and notice how I haven't mentioned anything about different labs you need to order. This is important in terms of source control, though. Remember to go through the sources in your head. Always think about in a patient when you're looking at them, what are the obvious places? Pneumonia being number one, upper respiratory infections, by far the most common source nationally of sepsis. UTIs, urinary, intra-abdominal will be the next one. Those are all kind of bundled together. The third one's going to be skin and soft tissue. Take a good hard look at your patient, especially if they're altered. This is a really, really, really big pearl that I learned from an attending. Actually, it's my program director. Shout out to Dr. Lefebvre, Wake Forest. He taught me this when I was an intern, and that was always, always Look at the skin on your patients who are older and elderly, especially if they have a fever. He talked about this one case he had one time of a patient who had Fourniers, 
and he wasn't yelling in pain or anything. He had dementia. He had no idea. He was completely kind of out of it and really critically ill and hypotensive. And they couldn't find a source on him. They tested, you know, the urine. They tested for pneumonia. They had a chest x-ray. It was negative. And the blood work was kind of unrevealing. And instead, they, you know, lifted the patient's gown up, looked everywhere, looked at the back, and finally looked in the perineum, and it looked disgusting, like fourniers. And it's really important here to do a good hard look at your patients. I've had that exact scenario happen in patients that come from nursing homes, patients that come from home potentially, in an environment where no one's really looking at certain areas for infection that may be more hidden from view. Always take a good hard look at your patients. And of course, last on the list here that you always need to think about in the back of your mind, very rare, meningitis, bacterial meningitis specifically. Always need to think about potentially doing an LP on someone for source control and investigation, but don't ever let that stop you doing antibiotics. That's another test question right there. And someone you're worried about with meningitis or suspecting meningitis as a source, you're still doing those antibiotics early on, and then you will you know, do the LP if you can, but it doesn't really matter. Don't ever delay antibiotics if you haven't done the LP yet, if you're worried about meningitis, of course, absolutely. All right, I think that is really all we need to know here. Just remember the key things here, broad spec antibiotics, ideally within the first hour of septic shock, within the first three hours of, you know, code sepsis or whatever. That is by far the only thing that's been found by solid evidence to change mortality in patients. Source control is important. We talked about where the source is, where to identify it. Your MAP goal is greater than 60 to 65 millimeters mercury. You can start vasopressors early. You know, if you're, you know, giving some fluid boluses or whatever, and you're discovering the patient's blood pressure is not improving, you don't have to wait for the whole 30 cc's per kg or whatever. Just start them. Start them early. And that's norepinephrine. And you can start it through a peripheral line. You can start for a peripheral line for like 24 hours, too. It's not like, oh, we need to do it for an hour and get a central line. Not true. You can do norepinephrine early on for the first several hours. You can admit this patient upstairs, let the ICU take care of your central line, whatever. Don't let that slow down your building up of patient's blood pressure and using vasopressive agents. Your second line agent for vasopressor is going to be vasopressin. That's easy to remember. And of course, stress dose steroids. Don't forget about that. They are your friend. Hydrocortisone, 50 milligrams, Q6 hours. Remember your search criteria. That is an easy test question. And remember, of course, antibiotics before LP, antibiotics before doing certain tests to look for a source. And that is really it. Remember our four bombs podcast is at www.emrapidbombs.com. You can check out our Rapid Bombs podcast, and that is that premium podcast that tells you what you know for the boards, the only question bank podcast in the world. Thank you again, and we hope to see you next time. Bye.